into Mark chapter 2. Welcome you back to your seats. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we project the text on the screen. Let's quiet our hearts and ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just need you to quiet and still our hearts and our minds so that we can concentrate and focus on the important matter of listening and understanding your word. We acknowledge, Father, that the Bible is not the work of any man. It does not have its origin in any man or on earth, but it is the God-breathed word sent to save us, to lead us on the right path that leads to life and blessing, to guide us, to renew our minds, to make us whole. So, Father, we pray that we would listen and hear the truth and by knowing the truth, have our hearts set free. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here we are only in the second chapter of the book in the Gospel of Mark. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been introduced as the Son of God and he's doing what he said he came to do and that is to preach the good news, to teach the word of God. And we've been seeing him do that. And what an amazing thing, because he is teaching with such unbelievable, amazing authority. And everybody says that about his preaching. Well, of course, because we'll come to find out he not only claims to be equal to God, but the New Testament will teach that he is literally the fullness of deity. Deity means divine nature, the fullness of God, in human form. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. And so here we have God, the God-man, teaching people uh, the way to be reconciled to God, to have eternal life, to find meaning, to have uh, what he calls abundant life, as the Bible calls it, life that is truly life. That's what Jesus came to give. And so all these people are gathering. This is the context of Mark chapter 2. They delighted to hear him, the Bible says. And they, um, they were also stunned at his amazing miracles that he performed to give credence or to back up the, the, the provocative claims he was making. He was, he's teaching them, believe in me, never die. Believe in me, it'll be like living water. You drink all your human longings will be quenched. Believe in me, you'll never walk in darkness but have the light of life since I am the light of the world. So he's making these claims and then he's saying, hey, if you don't believe that I'm the light of the world, watch me turn on the light for this guy in darkness and he'd heal the blind man. If you don't believe that I'm the bread of heaven that, and Jesus said, would teach this, I came down from heaven. If you don't believe that I came down from heaven as the bread of life, then watch me multiply this kid's lunch. 
And, and, and so he, his miracles were associated with his claims. You know, when he raised up the dead, it, it was, uh, he's, he had just said, if anybody believes in me, even if you die, yet shall he live. Then he says, show me a dead body. You see, so he's doing these, he's teaching amazing things. He's doing miraculous things to back up the amazing statements that he's making. And it says there in, uh, I believe it's Luke 19, the crowds hung on his every word. Well, while the crowds were hanging on his every word, the Pharisees were getting hung up on his every word. And the Pharisees, as we'll find out in this text this morning, the religious leaders, you know, don't appreciate that there's a new sheriff in town. He's, uh, he's exercising his authority. He's saying, you've heard the rabbis say, well, they're the rabbis. But I say to you, you see, so there's this uh, clash going on. Now, I told you last week, the context of Mark chapter 2, there are five stories, compact, little, tight, little, neat little stories of five different encounters that show Jesus exercising authority and the Pharisees getting offended by that. So in every one of these stories, we already did the first one. The first story was Jesus said, I have the authority as God to forgive the sins of man. And let me just show you that I do have that authority. So he pronounced the sins forgiven of a man who could not walk. And then everybody gasped and had a hissy fit. Just, just the Pharisees. Who could forgive sins? You, if you were here last week, you, you'll remember this. Who couldn't forgive sins but God alone? This is blasphemy. It's just to clear things up. Uh, get up and walk. So the guy gets up and walks, proving that Jesus had the authority to forgive his sins. And so that was story one. And now that we have understood who Jesus is, now get some clarity about why he came. This is who he is. Now, why he came. And, and the Pharisees uh, don't understand that at all. And we're going to take a look at that. That's story number two of the five that we're looking at. And story number two alone will be our text this morning. Let's take a look at it. So once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and he's doing what he's doing. <laughs> Why he came, a, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. That's his mission statement. <laughs> As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, this guy has a second name, Matthew, our Matthew. He saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Verse 15 says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, there was probably a party afterwards because Levi got saved. Many tax collectors, all his buddies and sinners, were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him, Jesus, eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Ew. Uh, on, on, I threw the ew in there for just, uh, you know, 
sound effects. Uh, on, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but sick people. I didn't come to call the self-righteous people. I came to call sinners. Now, wow, what a compact little profound paragraph that we're going to take a look at. The implications here are absolutely astounding. Just a couple thoughts from Jesus. You're going to change the way the whole world should be looking at how do you get to heaven? Because the whole world thinks, like the Pharisees, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Incorrect, not biblical. Saves people who start out bad because everybody starts out bad. Saved people go to heaven. Unsaved, unreconciled people perish, according to the Bible. And so with that, uh, they, they have come up with all these things about how to be a good person. Relationship with God, the teachers would say, uh, is a bunch of rules and regulations. They had it down to outward uh, conformity, so on the outside, they looked really good, and they did a lot of good things on the outside, but without inner transformation. There was no change. They go to church in one condition and leave in the same condition. There's no moral transformation, no change whatsoever. And so this is what the context of what we're going to take a look at, how uh, this group of people had a clash with our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has to correct this horrible false idea with an accurate way of understanding spiritual things from God's perspective. And, and spoiler alert here, the end of the story is going to find out that we're all fallen human beings, no matter what package we come in outwardly. We're all unwell. We are all sick. We need a doctor. And God is called the great physician, and he has come to call sinners the only kind of people God calls. So these great saving truths are what we're going to be talking about this morning. They come to us introduced by the story of how Levi, who is Matthew, and who writes the Gospel of Matthew, how Matthew becomes a Christian and comes to faith and meets the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, interestingly here, it unfolds quite easily. And if you're taking notes, number one, the calling of a tax collector, 13 and 14. The offense of the Pharisees, 15 and 16. And the response of Jesus, our Lord. You know what's really cool about all these guys dog Jesus through the, all the Gospels. For three years, they're always in the crowd pointing their self-righteous fingers and objecting and complaining with their grievances about Jesus. And every time they do, Jesus corrects them. And we get more clarity about, oh, thank you for, for, for causing a problem right now. Because had they not caused the problem, we wouldn't have these kinds of texts that make uh, the meaning of salvation so clear. And, and uh, nobody has to doubt here after reading the story about why Jesus Christ came and who he came for and how you get to heaven. It's all right there. Thanks to some hissy fit some Pharisee was throwing there, you know. 
So let's dive in to the first point, the call, the dramatic event. Um, it's interesting that a tax collector, uh, somebody the, um, the uh, Pharisees have written off, uh, becomes close to Jesus and a follower of Jesus uh, as the setting for this ideological clash that they're going to have with Jesus. And so here, here's, here it is. We'll, we'll isolate that for us. So once again, we see Jesus is beside the lake and a large crowd is listening. Now, Jesus did 80% of his ministry around Galilee, which is the Sea of Galilee there, or it's called Genesaret. Um, because of the ship, that means harp. It's shaped like a harp. It's the size of Lake Tahoe. If you come with us next year, we will make many trips around that lake. And so you'll become familiar with the place that Jesus did primarily most of his teaching. And why did he do it there? Well, for one reason, uh, there, and there is a beautiful shape of the land uh, he would often go out on a boat and from the shore right there, and he would use that as a pulpit to teach, and large crowds could sit. And all around the Sea of Galilee, there are slopes and hills. And so it formed a natural amphitheater. And so while he's preaching from the boat with the, with the water and the slope and how it's shaped, the, the sound just echoes Everywhere now, I got a picture of just what what is called uh, the the Sower's Cove, and thank you, Farrell Jenkins, there for taking a good picture. Uh, here's the cove. Here's Capernaum. So scholars know that by the sea shore in Capernaum is we're talking about here. Now this is the place where where it's called the parable of the Sower Cove because it says Jesus went out in a boat and began to open up and tell these stories, and he started with the parable of the sower, right? And so it's named that, and we visit that place. Now, I just want to give you another shot of it here. So the acoustics are incredible, and this guy from BiblePlaces.com, he did a little experiment. He's been there many, many times. And so he went down to the cove. He had somebody down there who's going to start to preach the parable of the sower. From, and, and he's just a speck. So from here, they set up audio equipment to record. And, and even though he's behind the tree on the shore, this is what you can hear from there. But when the sun came up... They have no root. Other seeds, Other seeds fell, on thorns. fell on thorns. Grew up. Grew up. Plants. But they did not bear grain. They did not bear grain. Still other seeds. Still other seeds. Fell seed, on good soil. Fell on good soil. Soil. Came up, grew, produced the crop. Multiplying thirty. He's behind 60. there on the seashore. Now, now uh, this wonderful uh, archaeological study here um, says that, I think I wrote it down, five to, to 7,000 people could fit 
in this whole entire area uh, be, uh, in front of the road. So if, if you stretch this all out here. And so uh, it's pretty an amazing thing. You know what I love about the Bible? You can, and thank you, you can go back to the verse. You can go and verify the truth. These are claims that are verifiable. When, when the Lord uses a name or a date or a ruler or a war or a famine or a place, he preached, and well, where could you preach to that many people? You know, how could they all hear him and that kind of thing? You can go and find and verify. That is just the beauty of the claims of the gospel. It's not just out there in some ethereal way. You can go and measure and detect and see this truth is verifiable. And so... And that's what he was doing. So uh, uh, the echo of these truths that were setting people free apparently fell on the ears of quite an unlikely character. He was a tax collector. And I'll tell you a little bit about the kind of guy who would take that job. Is <laughs> not the kind of guy you picture hanging out with Jesus uh, or wanting to be interested in spiritual things. And so uh, his name is Levi. We know him as Matthew. Matthew chapter 9 will tell us in Matthew's own words about how he um, was called uh, there at the toll booth to follow uh, Jesus. And so uh, it's not uncommon to have two names. Uh, there's um, Simon, Peter. There's Saul becomes Paul. Uh, you have John who also goes by the name of Mark. And so Levi will now go by the name of Matthew, gift of God, you know. People still do that in third world countries where they come out of terrible, dark things. They want a new life. Well, Jesus said, if you come to me, you'll be born again. So when you're born again in third world countries, other places around the world, they'll, they'll adopt a new name. And so I, I find that to be the case when I go traveling around. And so we're told the son of Alpheus, who probably broke Alpheus' heart and Mrs. Alpheus too, because uh, when I tell you what kind of man he had become, uh, it is pretty sad indeed. So, but your text says he heard the word of God through Christ and he responded. Now, how did that happen? Well, notice a few things. First of all, he's a tax collector. Now, he manned a toll booth, and I'm going to throw this in, all right? There's a map here of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, there was a, a famous highway that connected Caesarea, which is down here, and with uh, Syria. And, and so the trade route came th down through here. If you had to travel this road at all, you had to go through uh, Capernaum, you see the road, and of course, it runs straight through where the Bible says Matthew would be collecting tolls in Capernaum. And so Matthew was there. Thank you for, and you can go back there. He was a tax collector. Now, I had never met a tax collector um, until I was baptizing one guy at, at one of our uh, members <laughs> homes there he had a pool and I in front of everybody I asked him so Peter what do you do for a living and he goes I'm a tax collector and everybody went and then I said you know I'm gonna have to hold you down a little extra longer 
Now, the tax collectors was a poster child for <laughs> the people that everyone loved to hate and exclude. Uh, it might be like a thug who sells drugs today. I don't think anybody likes a drug dealer. You know, no offense to the, if you're dealing drugs. But <laughs> I have to entertain myself somehow. And so, yeah, the tax collectors kind of, here, here, here are the reasons why. I mean, it, it is the a statement for the worst thing. Here's reason. Number one, nobody likes to pay taxes. Okay, raise your hand if you, April 15th, you're all happy. Woo, I get to write a check. No, you know, usually nobody likes to pay taxes. Uh, the IRS, when you say IRS, you know, the, the Jews had an IRS. And, and, and Herod, who, Antipas, one of great, Herod, the great Herod, Herod the Great, had a son. He was nasty. He was oppressive. And Rome, Rome was squeezing those Jews out of every little shekel they could find. And so what they did was they'd hire Jewish people to man the tolbus, and whatever they, they brought in above, on top of already exorbitant taxes and fees for everything, if they could squeeze a little bit more, they'd get to keep that money. And so the Jews saw a fellow Jew taking a job like that, and they were greedy, they were self-serving, they'd sell their mother down the river for the right price. Those are the kinds of guys who took those jobs. Dishonest, scam artists, just terrible human being. And so they, instead of helping fight the Romans, right, or resist at least, they were helping them, enriching themselves at the expense of their fellow Jews. Nasty individuals. And so what happened was everybody just sort of um, agreed to shut them out of uh, community. They weren't allowed in the synagogues. And if you weren't in the synagogues, you got excommunicated. You, you didn't have a life, man. So here's what they did. Everybody who was overtly sinful and didn't cover up their vices, you know, i.e., sorry, the prostitutes and tax collectors, all through the New Testament, you hear tax collectors, tax collector and prostitute and sinners, all used in the same sentence. Why? Fine. We'll have our own friends. So they ran in the same circles. They were all in community with one another. We don't need you. We don't need the synagogue. And so for a guy like this to hear the word of God and to respond, well, listen, how did it happen that day? Well, you know, the Bible likes to cut to the chase and just show the moment all the dots were connected and bam, there was eternal life happened and he became a new person. It's called being born again. But I, I'm telling you what, uh, Jesus was passing through a lot of times. He's heard what the teacher is teaching. So God's word is at work. That's the way you come to faith. Hearing comes to Faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. 
Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. That's the way we come to faith and come to life. What else was going on? Levi had a conscience. God put a GPS homing device in every human being, and it may be, be uh, ignored, but it's a lot of work to run from God. It is a lot of work. He puts up hurdles everywhere. Mentally, there's guilt, there's condemnation, there's shame, there's fear, there's anxiety, and all of these things are from our conscience saying, get right with God. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Now, you, you can ignore that for a while, and you kind of get used to the hum, and soon you don't hear it anymore, right? Uh, but God gave us a conscience, and so Levi's conscience is working the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus said, no one comes to me except the Father draw them. So God is at work in Levi's heart, tugging away. It also says that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of our need of a Savior, that we convict us of our sin, to to draw us and help us. So the Holy Spirit's working. Uh, God the Father is drawing him. Jesus' word is being shared with him. And guess what? There are two James in the list of disciples of 12. There are two James. There's James and John of Zebedee, right? But there's this other James in the list. Check it out. It says, James, son of Alphaeus. Oh, Levi, son of Alphaeus. Matthew and the other James are brothers. So you have three sets of brothers, as God often does. I got saved with my brother in the same prayer. God often does this. Right? We went to school to be ministers together as brothers. It, it just happens in families. And so who's working on him? He's got his little brother or his big brother. I don't know, right? His brother's saying, hey, you got to hear this guy. And he's saying, you don't know what kind of life I'm living. Yeah, we do. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty evident, right? So he's got little brother. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's got the Father. He's got the words echoing up, down from the lake. It's all coming together. He can't get away. And then Jesus looks at him and says, bro, today, buddy, is your day. You belong to me. You're on our side. Jesus said, whoever hears the truth, and Pilate was standing in front of him. He said, the re- Jesus said, the reason I came was to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth comes to me. Levi. You're one of us. Quit the excuses. Come to me. And he said, and here's heaven and hell, difference between heaven and hell. The word of God, boom, right there, grabs him, and he rises, and he leaves. He responds. That's the difference. God will call everybody. He will call everybody. But who answers That's the difference. Now, what is it that makes one tax collector go, yes, and the other guy right there, you religious wacko. Oh, you're going to be Mr. Holy now. Oh, he's following Jesus, boys. Oh, yeah. What's the difference? Why does one person hear the call at a Billy Graham thing? He hears it loud and clear. Whoa, he's talking to me. And he gets up and he goes down. 
What is that? Nobody knows. It really could be as simple as free will. God is calling. Our will is saying yes, and they collide. And that's where life happens. It had nothing to do with good. It had nothing to do with bad. It had everything about coming and meeting life. And Jesus said, that's where you're born again. Not good, not bad, but alive. You have to die alive. If you die, dead. That's called the second death. You'll die physically, and then Jesus calls it a second death. So you want to be born again while you're physically alive. And that's what happened to this guy. A beautiful thing. You know, you get called. Come on, you hear. Well, why does he say he immediately get up? Was there a two-week notice? He say, say anything to it? No, he didn't do that. Now, I, I recommend if this happens and you can give a two-week notice, give your two-week notice as a testimony to your employer, right? But there are some times when you have to put down what you're doing, you need to walk out. I knew when I became a Christian, I knew I spent three days at my apartment. I moved in with my mom and dad, the only Christian I knew. I told you a million times, my Jewish father had just become a Christian, right? So the only Christian I knew was him. So I knew I can't live with my two party animal uh, roommates. I just knew. So I didn't have to tell anybody, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm this and that. Why aren't you partying with us? I met the Lord. Why, why aren't you talking? Why aren't you laughing at that anymore? Why don't you find that funny? I don't find it funny anymore. Right? Something happened. I didn't become a good person. I became a saved person. And now goodness will come from that, and that's the only goodness that ever counts is the goodness that Christ brings to our hearts and lives, right? So, I mean, have you been called? Do you hear the voice? Are you responding? And, and that's why he says, that, that's why he points out all the time, and I know I'm spending some time here, but it's important. He gets up and follows right then and there. Listen, the Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. All of the coming to Christ is always shown as now. They heard the word and they didn't make any more excuses. They didn't drag their feet about it. Let me just tell you this. There are people who have perished. And Jesus' words, if they have perished, it's forever. They're gone. It's, it's forever. I guarantee you, there are people there now who fully intended to get saved. Fully intended. But they didn't get to it. The road to hell is paved with great intentions. And that is why the Holy Spirit is saying, look at this. When God is calling, is there, in your mind, is there one good reason for you to spend one second in harm's way of a threat of eternal loss? Is it, is it worth even 10 seconds? If, if that threat was hanging over you, should you allow that to go on for 10 seconds? No. And you're saying you're trying to scare me into making a decision. Yes, 
I am. Are you kidding me? Why wouldn't I? I know there's a hell. You're not reconciled. If you die, God forbid, before you reconcile, you're going to perish. Why wouldn't I want to put the fear of God underneath your, your feet that are, seem to be dragging? Amen? Amen? All right, we better move on, just for the just sake. So while Jesus is having dinner, because Matthew is like, Oh, man, come to my house. He hosts a, a feast for Jesus, the other Gospels say. Many tax collectors and his buddies come, and they're all eating there. And the teachers of the law are all bent out of joint that there are yucky people here that we could get cooties from, and spiritually speaking. And so this is really the crux. And we've hit point two, um, believe it or not, the offense, point two. Of the Pharisees. Now, it says they ask the question. Ha ha, no. They're not asking an innocent question. Hey, hey, we're curious. We got our notepads. We just love what's going on here. Just want to know, just out of curiosity, why is he hanging out with, with guys like that? Just, no, no, no. This is an accusation. The word used is grievance. They've got a grievance. Guilty by association. Look, of course he hangs out. Oh, no, doesn't look at his friends. Tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And you know how we know it's not an innocent question? Because Jesus outs them in Matthew chapter 11. He says, what is it with you people? Jesus speaking. He says, what is it with you? We send John the Baptist. John the Baptist is strict. He doesn't drink wine. He fasts a lot. He's in the desert howling like a madman. And, right? and you guys say, oh, he's crazy and he's got a demon. And then I come and I go to parties. I eat with people. I drink a little wine. And, and you know what they call me? They say, Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaking. They call me a drunk. These guys, the Pharisees. He's a drunk, he's a glutton, and third strike, he hangs out and is a friend of sinners. Oh, that was the, like, whoa. You know, gluttony is one thing, being drunk's another thing, but hanging out with Matthew? Come on, man. Doesn't that say a lot about Jesus? Yeah, Jesus like that. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud that I'm known to be a friend of sinners. Now, who are these teachers of the law? Teachers of the law, when you hear law in the New Testament, just put in Bible. Law, just some, it's the way the Old Testament calls the word of God, the law, which tells you from God's point of view what his word is. It's not, you know, it wasn't the 10 suggestions. It was the 10 <laughs> commandments, right? <laughs> So it's like God's law, you know. So, so God, these teachers were Bible experts. They're called by various things. Now, the folks who ran Israel, they ran it as a Supreme Court. That Supreme Court was called the Sanhedrin. That word means the council. The council governed Israel civic government and religious uh, traditions and guided them in both realms. That party, 70 people, were divided into two major parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the experts in the law. 
They were the, and sometimes you'll see different words used for them, rabbis or Pharisees. Uh, doctors of the law were the PhD guys. They were sometimes called lawyers or scribes. They're all Pharisees. All right? They're just words for Bible scholars, theologians, copyists. Those were the guys, right? Theologically, they were conservative and they believed the word of God. But behaviorally, they didn't live it. Oh, they, they, they had it all on the outside. Now, there were a couple of, of them that were good, uh, but by and large, they turned <laughs> uh, relationship with God into a nightmare. They came, came up, and the Sadducees were more the politicians in the group, and they didn't believe the Bible to be the, 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 the uh, inspiration of God. And so they're, they're always seen, the Pharisees and Sadducees are the teachers who are coming against what Jesus said. Now, these guys are everything, everything bad about religion in one person is in a Pharisee. They were hypocrites, Jesus said, Matthew 23. They preach. Jesus said, do everything they tell you to do, but don't follow their example because they don't practice what they preach. Okay, so they were insecure. They were jealous. Uh, they wanted everybody to applaud them, and they wanted the best seats of honor at banquets. They wanted to be, to be called by their titles of rabbi and reverend and all of this stuff. And Jesus said they want the applause of man instead of the favor of God. And he also denounced them. He said, you guys aren't going to heaven, and you're making it hard for those who follow you to make it to heaven as well. They made up all these rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. You couldn't even breathe on a Saturday because the idea was you weren't supposed to work and have that day for worship celebration. It was a thing of joy. But the Pharisees were counting how many steps you would take to qualify as work. So if you took more than 1,000 steps, you were working on the Sabbath, you couldn't lie. Oh, all kinds of things, terrible things. And Jesus came to set everybody free from that. And so that's the kind of religion of formalism that they were doing. And zero com compassion on A, non-Jewish people, and, and those who were outwardly, obviously, struggling with moral uh, things and, and, and behaviors, right? So they just wrote them off. And, and they said, God loves good people. He hates bad people. And we're going to separate ourselves. The word Pharisee means the separated ones. And so you don't keep our rules and regulations. Therefore, you're bad. And we reject you because God rejects you and you're out. So that's how the tax collectors were seen. And so Jesus shows up, and he's hanging out with them. He's got a different mindset because he's showing love, and he can get past, listen to me, I'm sure those tax collectors were difficult to be around if you loved the things that were right and true, and you were a decent human being. A tax collector was abrasive to your senses, just like a lot of people today. But Jesus had a heart knowing that everybody's lost, everybody needs salvation, and he saw the value, listen to me, he saw the value of the person behind 
the offensive package of sin. Sinners sin. That's their job description. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And when you don't like that sin and when you shouldn't like it and it's offensive, it's hard to see the person. And you get stumbled and you tend to write off the whole person. And God is saying, ah, I came to save that person. I love that person. This just happened to me last night. I got all this stuff in my head because I'm ready to go, right? So I'm at the mall trying to fix my GPS at the Apple store, which is still broken. (laughs) I still don't know where I'm going. It's a series trying to take me to Omaha. I'm like, I don't want to go to Omaha. And so walking down there at Santa Rosa Plaza Mall is a guy with a T-shirt that just blew my mind. It's like, did I have to read that? You know, and it was like, ugh. And and I read it, and it was one of those T-shirts you want to just pull them aside and go, seriously? Seriously, dude, come on, no, right? And your first thing is like, ugh, roll your eyes, get around him, don't get defiled, and think you're better than him. Oh, I'm so much better than that. Oh, this is all in my head, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I pray for him. There's a soul behind the T-shirt that needs to be reconciled, needs to know how much you love him. So Jesus had the ability, if you're going to change somebody's life, you got to get close to them. you got to show them you care. So Jesus had the balance of hanging out, not laughing at their jokes. He didn't laugh at their jokes. He didn't cuss up a storm with them. He didn't get high with them to just kind of, you know, I'm relating to them, right? He never... <laughs> Oh, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. (laughs) Pastor Ross, weed is a natural plant that, (laughs) that God created. And I say, you know what? He also created poison oak, and he didn't say rub it on your face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Emails. Pastor Dave <laughs> at cctherock.org. All right, so where was I? Yeah, kindness. There's a difference of showing respect, gentleness, kindness, not being obsessed with behavior because uh, newsflash, he didn't have to go, you know, when you club somebody over the head and take their money, that's wrong. He didn't have to isolate the behavior. He, he wanted to say, you're worth something. You're loved. There's danger in your path. He never withheld the hard truth. He talks about hell all the time. He tells them, whatever's keeping you from coming to me, if it's your hand, chop it off. He says, because it would be better for you to come to heaven with me with one hand than for you to be plunged into hell where the flame never goes out and the worm never dies. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound pretty. 
You know, so some people who are universalists who believe that everybody's going to be okay, Lucifer, the demons, Adolf Hitler, everybody's going to be eventually reconciled, which is the belief of the author of the shack. That is what he believes. He believes in something called universalism. It means Jesus died for all, so one day everybody will be reconciled. But Jesus did not withhold, I love you. I'm not here to condemn you, but go your way and leave your life of sin. You see, it's Jesus who says, if you have me, the son, you'll have life. If you don't have me, you shall not see life for the wrath of God remains on you. That's gospel. So, oh, Jesus, help us to find the balance of loving the person but hating the sin and not throwing the sinner out with the sin. Or how else would we ever reach them? It's so difficult to do. But Jesus did it so well, so well. Let's finish up and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So why does he eat with tax collectors? Uh, He's going to tell you now. Here's his answer. (laughs) On hearing this, he said, "Uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. The response of Jesus is what this is one of the most profound statements uh, that Jesus ever made. Here's what he's saying. The only people who can qualify to go to heaven, there's only one kind and one qualification that you are a sinner. That's it. The only people that I have come to call, I only come to call one class of people, messed up, broken, corrupt sinners. The word sin means to miss the mark. It means to fall short. It means to cross over the line. It means to do the wrong thing or to do evil. He said, there are one kind of people that qualify. And the way to qualify is to humble yourself and say, that's me. Now you're qualifying and trust in him that he's going to do the hard work that you cannot do. He's going to pay the price for your sins. That's why he died. If you could be good enough, if I could be good enough, why would God in a body let people strip him, beat him, and kill him. He said, nobody took my life by the way I came. I laid my life willingly down. Nobody arrests the Son of God. It's kind of like, here we go. Here we go. Why? Because you don't stand a chance. Now, there's dead. There's all kinds of dead, right, up here on appearance. Like, you know, like Princess Bride, right? There's, <laughs> there's, there's dead and mostly dead, right? <laughs> well, spiritually speaking, the Bible says that we're all sick unto death, that we actually died of our condition called sin, and we were born that way. And, and so the, it's not about being good or being bad. It's about coming to life. Now, when you look at dead people, sorry, I see dead people now. <laughs> when, when you see a, a, a person who 
has died, sometimes they look really good. Sometimes they do. My dad looked really good. My dad looked like he was smiling. It was really nice. He was dressed in a suit, and he, but uh, you know, my brother touched him. I'm like, don't touch him, you know? But my brother touched him, but I'll never forget how my brother touched him. He, he went to touch him and reach his hand, he's, you know, and he turned his hand and touched him to the back of it and just went like that. And I said, well, and he goes, cold. <laughs> but he looked good. There are other people who are dead that you have to close the casket on because they're not presentable. When you're dead in your sins, you can look really good. Or you can be like a tax collector or a prostitute or a bank robber and look really the part. And the mistake we make is looking at the outside and saying, oh, well, see, you know, he gives to charity. He does this. He looks good. He looks good. But he's as dead as the other guy who is kind of mangled or diseased, you see? Now, if the standard was to get you to Hawaii and you had to swim, some would make it further than others. Some would make it a mile. Some would never get off the shore. (laughs) Or, or I don't know, I wouldn't get very far, you know. But there'd be like the Phelps dude, you know. He, he was born with like flippers, you know. <laughs> He'd make it 100 miles, right? But you know what? He would eventually drown, you see. So people like to compare themselves and think, well, you know, I made it. I could make it this far so much better than the guys who only swim one mile. It's not a, you can't make it. All your goodness. Here's a list of all the sins here. Look at this. This is what the Pharisees could have known. They're Bible experts, and this is the Hebrew. This is the Old Testament on goodness or badness. All have turned away. All is a big word. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good. No, not even one Pharisee. Not even one. The human heart's most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can really know how bad it truly is? And then we're all infected and impure with sin. All of us. All's a big word. When we display our righteous deeds, and you can. There's a lot of good stuff you can do. Well, it's nothing but filthy rags when it comes to earning your, your salvation. You can't earn it, right? Nothing but filthy rags. That word means to be defiled. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. The Pharisees should have known this. They thought they were good. And Jesus said, listen, so back to the verse. He says, look, look. Doctors, here's an analogy. Come for the sick. So you go to the ER at Sutter, And you say, yeah, here I am. And they take your temperature, 98.6, you know, your blood pressure, 120 over 80. You're physically fit. They run some blood tests. Everything's optimal. What's wrong with you? Nothing. I feel good. You don't need a doctor, right? Here's Jesus' point. Doctors are for when you come in at 105. Your blood pressure, they can't really find it, right? That's a problem. Right? You're complaining. I've got this, and I got that, and, I, and I'm all like this, right? And they say, you lay down. 
because your blood work came back and you're way off the charts again. You need a doctor. So everybody's like, yeah, no kidding. He's saying, people are all sick. And a doctor from heaven, the great physician, has to come for everybody's running a fever of 105. Very little blood pressure. And he's saying, in the same way that sick people need a doctor, all human beings are sinners who need a savior. Whether you're a religious dude or not. Last cross-reference, check this out. Now, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and goodness and looked down on everybody else, oh, that's a Pharisee. <laughs> Jesus told this little analogy. Two guys, two men, went up to the church to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Well, we've got everybody's attention now in the crowd. <laughs> the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Losers, <laughs> robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that dude standing over there in that pew. Ooh, a tax collector. How did he get in here? Oy vey. Uh, verse 12. Now, me, on the other hand, and I love to talk about myself to you, God, I fast twice a week. I'm a religious dude, all right? And I give a tenth of all I get. Oh, I go to church and I write a fat check. And you know what they used to do? They used to blow a trumpet. they get everybody's attention and then make the offering. That's why Jesus said, when you give your offering, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Blow a trumpet. Hey, ba 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 I'm digging out my wallet. Oh, doesn't that make you nauseous? Well, I thank you, God, that I'm like that. I'm so generous. You're glad that I'm on your team, you know? But the tax collector, he just stood at a distance. He's in the back corner. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, oh, God, I'm a loser. Have mercy. That's all you can do is don't treat me the way my sins deserve. Now, I bring nothing but a big mess. I'm broken in every possible way. I need a savior. He says, I tell you that this guy, the tax collector, goes home justified before God. That means pardoned. Pardoned of all your sin, going to heaven, eternal life, reigning and ruling with Christ forever is justified. I tell you, the guy who's just standing there going, what a loser. I'm a loser. I need, a help. I need some help. He goes, saved. And the dude who's standing there and said, I got this thing together. God is so happy to have me on my on his team, I should say. You know, and uh, I see people like this. They bring back the shopping cart all the way to the place where it belongs instead of like some sinners who just leave it there. And I can almost hear them saying on the way back, well, there I am, another good deed that I've done. I couldn't possibly perish now that I've returned the shopping cart all the way. 
We make this up. I give you the shirt off of my back. I do this. I help the Shriners. I do whatever it is you do. It falls short. You need to come to the place. And that's why he says, I tell you, he says, for all who exalt themselves, look at me. I'm a good person. I'm basically, I'm a good person. You're not basically a good person. You tell lies. You make stuff up when you're under pressure. You're rude and self-centered. Your wife told me. (laughs) Hold on, I'll get the husband to talk now. You're running around all day long, gossiping, 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 making stuff up, telling stories. I know. Your husband told me they're married. I remember that email. Can you put it up here? Pastor Dave. Yeah, okay, never mind. Yeah, so that's what it is. Listen, I'm closing with a story. For reals, this time. I promise. Uh, We were doing some street witnessing. I read this note before. This note is uh, 30 years old. I don't know how I managed to keep it. I have lost other things in 30 days, let alone keeping this. It's important. So here's, here's the background. I, I was a new Christian, and we wanted to go up to San Francisco from Bible College to um, bring the gospel. We were all on fire, and it was this uh, early 80s, and wow. So we decided to go to Castro Street near Halloween time. I know. We were 20 years old, you know? And so we had Bibles and tracts, and we're passing them out and doing this stuff. And there's this guy who was really rude, if you can believe it. And he's, he's leaning up against a bar, and he's got this big flower on. And I start talking to him, and he's kind of drunk. And he's talking about, yeah, my lover just broke up with me. And I was just, just saying all of these really offensive things about God and Christianity and us and the partner that I was, I was witnessing with a girl named Diane. And uh, it didn't go well there. And I said, listen, I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, listen, buddy, let's have a cup of coffee. We'll buy you some pie and coffee. Let's talk a little bit more. And he goes, okay, you can buy me a cup of coffee. So we went over to a restaurant, bought him a cup of coffee, was sharing the gospel. Wow, he was interested, even though he was slightly inebriated. <laughs> and I pulled out a pocket New Testament, and I read to him Psalm 51. I don't even know why I picked that, because it talks about forgiveness. And the last phrase in Psalm 51 in King James says, then I will offer a bullock on thine altar, O Lord. Well, this really moved him. And, and he started to be moved, and he cried. And I said, what's, what's going on, man? He said, my last name is Bullock. <laughs> and I just feel like I hear the Lord is saying, this isn't the life for you. I have a different life for you, and I should be offered on his altar. And I was like, dude, we can fix this. We can offer you on the altar, and it'll be, you know, (laughs) it won't be as messy as if you were a bullock. (laughs) And so we prayed with him. All right, let me tell you, six months later. 
You may be wondering why it took so long to write. Well, I usually don't write at all. And when I do, it's, it's usually six months between letters. This is no computers. Unless I really get enthusiastic. And he goes on a little bit personal remarks uh, to Diane. This went to Diane, and Diane gave it to me. Next paragraph. The Lord reigns. Let the people rejoice. Yes, I'm still alive, and I'm battling on the front line. Spiritual warfare isn't easy, but it is worth it. Just seeing Jesus will be the biggest reward. God has done wonders since that night. Six months ago at Welcome Home Restaurant on Castro Street. Apparently. <laughs> Wonders he's done. What have I been through? You wouldn't believe it. The struggle is really, really hard sometimes, but God is greater than all my struggles, and I'm learning that all things really do work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's He's quoting the Bible. So I'm beginning to praise him in my weakness. Guess what? I'm beginning to like women. Uh, hello? Yeah. yeah, okay, you can respond a little bit. That's okay. I'm beginning to, did you not get Castro Street and yeah, his lover was, had a beard? Okay. Guess what? I'm beginning to like women and I have someone I'm beginning to care about. Pray for me in this area that I don't get ahead of God. I want God's perfect will in this area of my life. I don't want to get out in front of him. And I always pray God will keep me humble before him. As I said, the battle really gets rough sometimes. Love in Christ, David Bullock. P.S. Only Christ is the way out of gay. This is from him, not, not me. I didn't write this. I didn't even say that last part. That, that's him. He said, this is the way out of that lifestyle. God is healing me. And I'm starting to like women again. What happened? Now, we don't write people off. We love them. But we tell them the truth. We care. Nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. That's the way it is. Let us find the balance of speaking truth in love. Right? Love and truth together. Let us not be like Jonah, who just couldn't go to Nineveh because of all the bad guys. And Nineveh is modern-day Mosul. And the Ninevites are the, are the grandfathers of uh, ISIS. The Ninevites, Mosul, Nineveh, same place. And Jonah said, I don't want to go to the terrorists. And Jesus said, behind some of those terrorists are actually my people. So leave the sin to me. Look at them with love and try to reach them. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. A lot in this little paragraph, Lord, and we have been challenged and we've been encouraged you can do a lot. Lord, teach us to be more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. 
If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.